Thank you for joining us on the sermon podcast for Mars Hill Cumberland Presbyterian Church. We love being able to distribute our sermons in this format, but we would love it even more if you could join us in person at 5208 Crow Mountain Road in Russellville, Arkansas, or online at the Mars Hill Cumberland Presbyterian Church Facebook page. We have Sunday school classes at 9 a.m. with a worship service right after at 10 a.m. Let's now prepare our hearts to hear a message from God's Word. Romans chapter 13, verses 8 through 14. And when you have that text, if you would stand in honor of the reading of God's Word. Romans chapter 13, 8 through 14. Hear the word of the Lord. Do not owe anyone anything except to love one another, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The commandments do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet. And any other commandment are summed up by this commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Love, therefore, is the fulfillment of the law. Besides this, since you know the time, it is already the hour for you to wake up from sleep, because now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is nearly over and the day is near, so let us discard the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk with decency as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual impurity and promiscuity, not in quarreling and jealousy. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and don't make plans to gratify the desires of the flesh. Sends the reading of God's word, the word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. Let's pray. Almighty God and everlasting Father, this is your word and we are your people and we come before you humbly this morning asking that you feed us with the bread of your word. Asking God that you would open up our hearts and minds so that we would hear from the text and receive from it. Asking you, God, that you would use it to cleanse us of all sin, immorality, and temptation, Lord God. That you would cause this word to grow in our hearts and cause us to be like you. We ask it in your son's name. Amen. A couple of weeks ago after we talked about coming to a bitter place, someone said that the sermon hit hit them right where it needed to. And and they jokingly said that it was almost like I was picking on them. But there's something you should know. Before I pick on you, the Lord picks on me. So if you think, man, he's reading my mail, you need to understand that I've got to sit with this text all week and let God do some picking at me. And so so two weeks ago, we talked about what happens when you encounter a bitter place in your life. This week, we're going to talk about what it means to love people and how that relates to the law. And so the title of this, the message this morning is A Debt, A Day, and A Discipline. A Debt, A Day, and A Discipline. And as we'll see in the text, Paul says that there is a debt that we owe, there is a day that we know, and there is a discipline that we need. And so if you look on the the back of your bulletin this morning, you should see the the outline of the message, and you can kind of follow that as we go along. Uh, I kind of think, I kind of put, I try try to put outlines of my messages when I can, that way it kind of helps you, uh, you're, you're, you're learning by hearing and seeing it in the bulletin. And uh, if we had a way for you to like fill in the blanks, uh, it could you could engage that way too. But um, we're looking at a debt, a day, and a discipline. Now look at verse eight as we begin this this morning. Verse eight: Do not owe any anyone anything except to love one another. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. So that's our debt. How many of us like being in debt? Nobody. Don't you just love being in debt? Nobody likes that. that. 
Man, y'all, y'all are boring. <laughs> Nobody likes being in debt. But I'm sure that we've all at some point been in a position where we've owed money to somebody at some point. We, maybe we borrowed money from the bank or from a friend or a family member and we had to pay it back. Or maybe, or maybe you don't owe money, maybe you owe your time or your energy. You told somebody you would fix something on their car or in their house and you didn't get around to it for a, for a bit, and so you owed them a debt of work or a debt of labor. Or maybe it's a simple debt of gratitude. For example, we, we owe Sherry a debt of gratitude because she served for so long as the women's Sunday school teacher. Or maybe you just, maybe you just need to be grateful to somebody for, for being good to you. We've all dealt with the concept of debt in some way, shape, or form. Uh, For example, there was a man who had to file a report because someone stole all of his wife's credit cards, and when he was on the phone with the police, he said, now don't look too hard for the thief. He's charging less on those cards than she ever did. (laughs) So we've all had to deal with debt. But what Paul says in this verse in Romans 13.8 is that even if, you're, even, if you, uh, even if you're in tip-top financial shape and you don't owe a dime to anybody, you're still owing an outstanding debt of love to each other. You still owe an outstanding debt of love to each other. Now for the sake of context, you need to understand that this verse comes on the heels of verses 1 through 7 where Paul talks about the believer's obligation to the government. And and this is where Paul is talking about our obligation to the state, and what Paul says at the end of that in verse 7 is he says, in Romans 13, 7, he says, pay your obligations to everyone. Taxes to those who you owe taxes, tolls to those whom you owe tolls, respect to those whom you owe respect, and honor to those whom you owe honor. So there's not only a debt of love that we owe, but there's also a debt of honor that we owe to people. And so these are all expressions of duty. And part of the reason, part of the reason that the world is in the condition that it's in is because people have the mentality that the world owes them everything and they don't owe anybody anything. And, th- and so they have what, what my wife likes to call main character syndrome. They're the main character of their story, and so they think they ought to be the main character of everyone else's story as well. So they believe that they're owed that honor. They believe they're owed that debt of love when they don't have to pay anyone anything, including love or honor. I was watching an interview this week. I don't know if you know who Oliver Anthony is, but uh, he was a gentleman who got famous over TikTok because he wrote a song. Um, He wrote a song called uh, Rich Men of North Richland, and where he was basically, uh, it, was, it was almost like a conservative protest song against the power of the government. It's, it's a really neat song. You should go out of your way to listen to it. But he did an interview this week on, uh, he, he did an interview this week on Jordan Peterson's podcast. And one of the things he said on Jordan Peterson's podcast was Peterson was asking him, you know, what do you think the solution is to, to the problems that we have in the world? Well, that's a big question, right? Peterson asked him, what do you think the solution is to the problems we're experiencing in the world? And and here's the way Oliver Anthony answered that question. He said, in the Bible, if there was a Pharisee who approached Jesus with with the question of what he should do, and Jesus told the Pharisee, you need to love God and you need to love your neighbor. And Oliver Anthony, I guess he's a Christian, he he gave a good answer anyway. He, uh, He said, you know, if people would go out of their way 
to love God and love their neighbor and make that a priority, then we would eliminate most of the problems we have in the world. If, we, if people would go out of their way to love God and love their neighbor, that would take care of a lot of the problems that we experience in our world. And so here's what we need to do. We need to realize that the world doesn't owe us anything. But we live in a world where we do owe we do owe other people things like love and honor. We owe people love, we owe people honor, we owe people respect. That's what Paul says. And when, and when we read texts like this, it, it's hard. It's hard for us because we think about the people to whom we're supposed to owe love, respect, and honor, and those people that we owe love, respect, and honor to aren't always worthy of it, at least in our opinion, Right? And so we think, well, why should I love that person? Why should I honor that person? Why should I respect that person? And here's the simple answer, because God tells you to. People aren't always worth it. People aren't always worth it. But let me tell you who is worth it. God. God's worth it. And so when God says you owe love, honor, and respect to people that you don't see as worthy of love, honor, and respect, that means you owe a debt to God. And your debt to God is to take your love, honor, and respect and put it on the people that he says to love, honor, and respect. And so who does God tell us to love, honor, and respect? Well, there's a pretty, li there's a pretty simple, straightforward list here. Um, you can go through, again, on the outline of the bulletin. I've got scriptures for all of these. First of all, you're supposed to honor your parents. We all know this. This is pretty elementary stuff. You're supposed to honor your parents. This is the fourth commandment in Exodus chapter 20 of the Ten Commandments. Uh, God says, honor your father and your mother so that you may have a long life in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. So honor your parents. In Ephesians chapter 6, 1 through 3, when Paul is elaborating on that commandment, he says that it's the first commandment with a promise. God says that if you honor your lineage, if you honor your lineage, those, honor those who gave life to you, then your life will go well. Next, we need to honor our, honor our employers or our employees. So the way this works is if you're an employer, honor your employee. If you're an employee, honor your employer. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 and 9, he says, Slaves, obey your human masters with fear and trembling in the sincerity of your heart as you would Christ. Then he says down in verse 9, he says, And masters, treat your slaves the same way without threatening them because you know that both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. So in this world, you may be in a position where you're the underdog. In this world, you may be a position where you're, you're an employee serving an employer. But when God looks upon the situation, he doesn't see primarily an employee or an employer. He sees two people who are created in his image, and what those two people created in his image owe to each other is love, honor, and respect. Y'all are quiet this morning. <laughs> and so not only do we need to honor parents, not only do, do employers and employees need to honor one another, we need to honor leaders in the church. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 17 through 18. This is what Paul says. He says, the, the elders, elders, your ears need to perk up. I think we just got two this morning. Well, we have three totals. One of them's out. So the two-thirds of the elder body that's here, your ears need to perk up. The elders who are good leaders are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at teaching and preaching. 
For the scripture says, Do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain, and the worker is worthy of his wages. The worker is worthy of his wages. Then if you go to Hebrews chapter 13, verses 7 and 17, here's what the Apostle Paul or whoever the preacher in Hebrews 13 was. He says, Remember your leaders who have spoken God's word to you. As you carefully observe the outcome of their lives, imitate their faith. Obey your leaders. This is down in verse 17 of Hebrews 13. Obey your leaders and submit to them, since they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account, so that they can do this with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. So think about that verse for a minute. Obey your leaders and submit to them. That's Hebrews 13, 17. Jared Wilson uh, wrote a book called The Imperfect Disciple, and in that book he shared a story where one of his friends had just started preaching, and he got invited to preach at this, uh, this little Baptist church, a little country Baptist church out in the middle of nowhere, and he was going to preach on this text, Hebrews 13, 17, where it said, Obey your leaders and submit to them. And as soon as he read the text, he didn't say anything else. As soon as he read the text, a woman stood up and said, We're Baptist and we don't submit to anybody. <laughs> and you know what? You know what's sad? I've been in a lot of CP churches too. The same could be said for CP churches. <laughs> there are people who will not believe, and, and of course that's a, the practical application of that is that there are people who will not believe anything, who will not believe something, even if you show it to them in Scripture. And those people are, are, are blinded, I think. Um, but what the Bible tells us to do is the Bible tells us to honor your leaders and submit to them and imitate their faith. Watch their lives. So the church has an obligation to obey those to whom God has placed an authority over them, and the leaders have an obligation to watch over the souls of those in the church. Elders, do you understand that the Bible says that your job consists of watching over the souls of the people in this church? If you don't understand that before today, you understand it now. And I understand it's a big job. It's a big job. That's why it's on, the, it's on the people of the church to pray for, our, for your leaders. Obey them. Submit to them as they submit to Christ, which is exactly what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, where he says, follow me as I follow Christ. Now, after all that, who else does the Bible tell us to honor? 1 Peter 2.17. Honor everyone. 1 Peter 2.17 says, Honor everyone. Love the brothers and sisters. Fear God. Honor the king. So what's the point of Romans 13? The point is that you have an outstanding debt of honor, and when you show honor from a place of love, then you also wind up paying your outstanding debt of love. Listen, if people did nothing else but attempt to live in such a way that they felt obligated to give love to other people, then this world would start to be a better place. If you love someone, then you're not going to violate their trust, you're not going to take their life, and you're not going to take what belongs to them. That's precisely what Paul's argument is when he draws upon the law to reinforce what he's saying. Look again at verse 8. And now let's read verses 9 and 10 with it. Verses 8, 9, and 10. Do not owe anyone anything except to love one another. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. 
This is where he introduces the commandments. The commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet. And any other commandment are summed up by this commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Love, therefore, is the fulfillment of the law. So think about the commandments in these terms in the context of this conversation. Adultery is the taking of trust because you cheat, you know, you cheat on your spouse. Adultery is the taking of trust. Murder is the unlawful taking of a life. Theft is the taking of property, which comes from a covetous heart. And so what Paul does is Paul, Paul introduces the law into the conversation. And Paul is saying, you know what? If you focus on loving God and loving your neighbor, you're going to fulfill the law. If you focus on loving God and loving your neighbor, you're going to fulfill the law. And I think we get, and I, and I think that's a helpful way to look at it because sometimes I think we're guilty of putting the cart before the horse, and and maybe out of a place, maybe out of a good intention, we uh, we think you know we think we need to have the law in front of our faces and think, well, I don't need to do this, I need to do that, and if I'm just making a checklist of doing everything I need to do and don't do, I'll be all right. But what Paul says, and really what Jesus says is if you, if, if you make the two primary focuses of your life, loving God and loving your neighbor, you're going to wind up doing everything else. Martin Luther. Martin Luther kind of had that idea. And basically what he said about when he was talking about the Ten Commandments is Martin Luther said, if you focus on following the first two commandments, you're going to follow the other eight. So the first two commandments are, you shall have no other gods before me and, and don't bow down to a graven image. And Martin Luther said, if you just focus on those two commandments, the other eight commandments will, will take care of themselves. And so uh, there's this, there was this Christian comedian back in the 70s, just to kind of drive this point home further. There was this Christian comedian back in the 70s, and we've actually got one of his CDs in the car. His name was Mike Warnke. And when he was talking about when he first got saved, he said, people had me convinced that the Bible was a book of do's and don'ts. He said, but since I've been saved, I've found out that there's a whole lot more do's in the book than there are don'ts. And I figure if you spend your time doing the do's, you ain't going to have time to do the don'ts. And if you could, you wouldn't, so you can't, so you don't, so it's cool. <laughs> and so just in summary, just in summary of, of this first point, you have a debt of honor that you need to continually show to people. You have a debt of love that you need to continually show to people. And when you pay those debts properly, you wind up fulfilling the law. Okay? And it's, it's almost like God knew what he was doing whenever he gave us the laws that he gave us. So, so that's the debt. Now let's think about the day. Look at verses 11 through 13. Besides this... Since you know the time, it is already the hour for you to wake up from sleep because now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is nearly over and the day is near. So let us discard the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. So this is where we see Paul begin to tie, tie in ethics into eschatology. So as you look at the book of Romans, as you look at the book of Romans, it's broken up uh, in two main parts. Romans chapters 1 through 11 is the doctrine of Romans. Romans chapters 12 through 16 is the duty. Doctrine and duty. So the doctrine of the book of Romans, Paul spends 11 chapters unfolding the gospel as it relates to, to how, how we go about uh, receiving salvation from Christ. And then 
what Paul says in chapters 12 through 16 is, all right, now that we've received salvation, this is what it means for our lives as a result of that. So Romans chapters 12 and 13 and really chapters 14 and 15 really dive into ethics. Now Paul Paul ties ethics into eschatology. Eschatology, as you know, is the study of end times, the study of last things. And so what Paul says in verses 11 and 12 is we, we know what time it is. We know the hour because our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. He says, the night's nearly over and the day is near, so let us discard the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. So Paul says that because the coming of the Lord is nearer than when we first believed, there's a certain way that we need to think about how we behave. And so, in the Old Testament, in 1 Chronicles chapter 12, verse 32, The men of Issachar were praised for being men who had an understanding of the times, and because they had an understanding of the times, they knew what Israel ought to do. And so we should be the same way. Christians should seek to be a people who know what time it is. I'll say that again. Christians should seek to be a people who know what time it is. There's all these references in Scripture about how Christians are a people of light light in in a world of darkness. And so in Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, for example, Paul says he has rescued us from the domain of darkness and he's transferred us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. In Philippians 2.15, Paul tells us that we shine like lights in a dark world. Back in the Sermon on the Mountain, Matthew 5.14, Jesus tells us that we are the light of the world, a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. So what we're seeing in Romans 13, specifically in verses 11 through 13, is is no different. Paul is painting a picture with the metaphors of light and darkness. The world is dark, and believers are the only ones who have a flashlight. The world is dark, and believers are the only ones who have a flashlight. And by saying you know what time it is, Paul is making a clear statement that the world is running around without a clue. No one knows what time it is or where they're going, but believers have a pocket watch, metaphorically speaking. Before cell phones, before cell phones that had the time on them were were so common, if you didn't have a watch and there wasn't a clock nearby, you had to find someone with a watch and say, excuse me, do you have the time? And so what that means is that you're a believer. If you're a believer, then your light ought to be shining in such a way that people are asking you, why are you so different? Why do you have peace in in the midst of trouble? Why do you seem like you're so full of light when the world is dark? That's what Peter says in 1 Peter 3.15. In your hearts, regard Christ the Lord as holy, ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is within you. If you really have hope, people without hope will notice. If you really have hope, people without hope will notice. If you really have light, people who live in darkness will notice. If you really know what time it is, people who have no clue what's going on will take notice. There's an old story about a farmer in the late 1800s whose wife went into labor in the middle of the night, and so they called the doctor, and the doctor was fetched, and he delivered a child while the farmer held a lantern uh, to help the doctor see. 
And then the doctor said, hold on, there's another one. We got twins here. And the doctor delivered a second child. And then the farmer, he was shaken by this unexpected development. But then all of a sudden the doctor said, hold on, we got triplets, another one's coming. At that time, the farmer began to back out of the room and the doctor said, hey, come back here with that lantern. I need to, I need to see. And the, and the farmer said, no, no, it's the light that attracts them. <laughs> And so if you know what time it is, what are you to do with that information? Well, you're to wake up because it's the light that attracts people. <coughs> so in waking up, we not only recognize what time it is, but we act accordingly, which is, where the, which is where the discipline comes in. Look at verses 13 and 14. Let us walk with decency as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual impurity and promiscuity, not in quarreling and jealousy. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and don't make plans to gratify the desires of the flesh. Now, if you're reading verse 13 and you notice, it, you notice that short list of six sins, and if you're reading this, this list and you're looking at them like a checklist, then it goes something like this. Not in carousing and drunkenness. All right, well, I'm not doing that, so I'm doing pretty good. Not in sexual impurity and promiscuity. I'm not doing those either, so that's all right. Then all of a sudden he says, not in quarreling and jealousy. Well, now wait a minute. Now we might have a problem. Those first four seemed easy enough, but now we come to the more internal sins. We, we either try to ignore our sins or we try to justify them. And we might say things in response to that like, well, you know, I've got a reason to hold that grudge. I've got a reason to be jealous. I've got a reason to, to fight with, with brother so-and-so. You didn't hear what he said to me. You, you didn't hear the snide remark she made about me. Well, where do those feelings of anger and bitterness and jealousy come from? Where does the need to constantly be in conflict come from? James tells us where all of that comes from in James chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. James says, Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight in war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. So James says that the reason for wars, fights, quarreling, and jealousy comes from a place of covetousness. And we covet gratification, we covet personal pleasure, we covet comfort, and when we don't get those things, we find someone to blame and we make them the target of our frustration. Listen, it's not your spouse's fault that you're not happy. It's not your neighbor's fault that, you don't, that you're not fulfilled on the inside. It's not your fellow church member's fault that you didn't get your way. If there's something wrong on the inside of you, don't try to blame someone on the outside. Causing conflict is something that people who live in the darkness do. But Paul says in Romans 13, 12, that because the day is at hand, we need to put away the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. And then in verse 14, he gets more specific when he says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Listen, it may feel good to your flesh to engage in all of those sins that's mentioned in verse 13, but don't do it. 
Don't give an opportunity for the flesh to get comfortable. What Paul points out as the solution to all of this is putting off the old desires and putting on Christ. And I feel that this shouldn't need to be said, but I'll say it anyway. This putting on of Christ is a continual discipline. It is a continual discipline. It is not a one-time act. It is something that must continually be done. Wake up every morning and make a conscious decision to put on Christ and put away the desires of your flesh. Now you might hear that and you might ask, well, what does that mean? What does that look like? I'm so glad you asked. I'm so glad you're paying attention. John Piper gives us a a good picture of what it looks like. He said, putting on Christ each day doesn't mean wearing Him as an imposition or a nuisance or a burden. It means wearing Him as protection. That is, trusting Him. And wearing Him as the supplier of all your future needs. That is, hoping in Him. And wearing Him as your supreme treasure. That is, loving Him. Putting on Christ means to put Him on as the bulletproof vest when you confront the pistols of sin and unbelief. Putting on the Lord Jesus Christ means you put Him on as a badge that admits you to all the resources of heaven that you need to do His will. Do you understand that when you set out to do God's will, you're not alone? God doesn't say, here's what I want you to do, and then He just leaves you to your own devices to do it. Instead, God says, here's what I want you to do. Now here's the strength to do it with. Here's the will to do it with. Here's the vitality to do it with. Here's the open door of opportunity to do it. Listen, you are too weak. I am too weak. We are all too weak to perform any task that God calls us to do on our own. We need His strength. We need His power. We need His determination and commitment. And all of it is freely available when we put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus can do the will of His Father a lot better than you can. So why not avail yourself to His power, His strength, and His ability? I'll say that again. Jesus can do the will of His Father a lot better than you can. So you might as well avail yourself to His power, to His ability, to His strength. And so what we've seen this morning is that there's a debt of love and honor that we owe to one another. There's a, there's a day of our ultimate salvation that's drawing near, and there is a discipline of putting on Christ that we need to commit to every day. And so here's the, here's the deal. If you wonder what God's will for your life is today, I can't answer any specific questions for you. I can't answer whether you need to go, to, go ahead and go to Walmart in the morning or in the afternoon, Right? But if there's something you need to know about God's will for your life today, then then let me tell you that whatever you decide to do, whatever your plans for the day are, even if it's lounging around the house, your plans should always include putting on Christ and putting off the flesh because that's God's will for you. If you wonder what God's will for your life today is, then start with the simple command to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and put off the desires of the flesh, because regardless of whatever else God has for you, it's always going to involve putting off the flesh and putting on Christ. This passage, Romans Romans 13, 8 through 14, is loaded with directions for our daily lives. It's absolutely loaded down with application for what makes a Christ-oriented life. So what are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with it? 
You can come to church every Sunday. You can sit in the pews. You can sing the hymns and listen to me talk about all of these things. But unless there is a wholehearted commitment on your part to pursue Christ and live in likeness, in His likeness and in His character, then none of this will mean anything to you. So I want to encourage you this morning, don't let any of this roll on by. Take it to heart and commit yourselves to Christ-likeness. Commit yourselves to Christ-likeness. Let's pray. Almighty and everlasting God, this is your word and we are your people and we have come before you this morning with open hearts and open minds and we ask God that you would fill our hearts and minds with your spirit so we would know your word, so that it would be applied and that we would walk in your will. We, as, we, as we submit ourselves to you, God, we ask that you reveal yourselves to us so that we can be more like you. We ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this special message. We hope you were blessed and encouraged by the preaching and teaching of God's Word. Now, may the Lord bless you, keep you, make His face to shine upon you, and give you peace. Amen.